The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Hey, so as we get started this morning, um, I'm going to show you some pictures. And little guys, I want you to have a look here especially. Because uh, I'm going to show you four pictures of, uh, of four men. And I want you to be able to tell me what you think these guys have in common, okay? So here's the first guy. Um, his name is uh, Andrea Bocelli. All right, here's the second. His name is Stevie Wonder. Yeah, some of you know who Stevie Wonder is, don't you? Uh, this is Jeff Healy. We got some Jeff Healy fans here. Yeah, and then the last one, this is Ray Charles. Yeah, you knew this was Ray Charles. Um, so Andrea Bocelli, Stevie Wonder, Jeff Healy, Ray Charles. Who could tell me what these four men have in common? Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're singers for sure. And uh, what else? What else do they have in common? Right. They're blind. They're blind. All four of these guys are blind. They're blind. They can't see. So what... Um, can I just ask another question? Whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that they're blind? Like, who sinned so that these four guys can't see? Was it their, their own sin? Uh, or was it their parents? Like, who is being punished so that these, in order that these guys can't see? What do you mean? Oh, oh I see. Okay, so, so that's a weird question. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, it is a weird question. Um, but it isn't a weird question to Jesus' disciples. Uh, see, they meet this blind man, they see him, uh, they, or, so they, they reflect on the, the fact that he hasn't been able to see his whole life, and they figure, well, it's got to be somebody's fault. Like, blindness isn't part of God's design, so somebody surely has sinned. This has got to be somebody's fault. So who's, whose is it? Is it his fault or is it his parents? And um, that's how the disciples think of it, but that is not how Jesus thought of it, and we're going to see that today. Um, now, we're going to keep this short. I'm going to try and I'm going to keep us focused on the question of suffering and God's role in our suffering. Um, and uh, let's continue by um, taking a little bit of a walk through the story. And in the passage, we're going to look at John chapter 9, verses 1 to 25. I'm going to pause and, um, and just make some comments here and there. But what I want us to observe as we go is, where is God? for the man born blind. Like who, if, if you were the man born blind, who, how do you think of God? Who is, who is God to you if you're a man who's born blind? Because um, we're going to be talking about blindness. We're going to be talking about blindness today. So, verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Uh, Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? That he was born blind. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So let me just pause there for a minute. So Jesus is already there, just answered the question for us. Our question is, well, whose fault is it? Like, surely this man is being punished um, for somebody's sin, somebody did it, somebody did something so bad that God was justified in making this guy blind. 
Jesus says, no, that's not how this worked. Uh, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. So this is... Uh, this isn't the, the answer to why isn't because the guy has done something bad. It's it's actually in order that God might display His works through this man. So verse six. After he said these things, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and he spread the mud on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and he came back seeing. Uh, his neighbors and those who had seen him, this man uh, before as a beggar, said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, Yeah, he's the one. Others were saying, No, but he looks like him. But the man kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, Well, then how were your eyes opened? Uh, verse 11, He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The, uh, the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. And then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. Let me just pause there now. Um, the fact that it's a Sabbath, that's an important detail because um, according to the Pharisees' traditions, you weren't, you know, like any work... Um, was, was uh, like most kinds of work was, was forbidden. Like a lot of kinds of work was forbidden on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees had taken the Sabbath rules and they had sort of expanded them and added to them so that um, anything that even looked like work, um, even, even the kind of work that could help other people was forbidden. And so Jesus bending down and creating the mud and putting it on this man's eyes, that qualified as the kind of work that was uh, forbidden on the Sabbath. So it's just kind of, it's important to acknowledge that and understand that. That's why the Pharisees are so upset. To them, Jesus looks like a sinner because he refuses to observe their Sabbath tradition. So, uh, verse 15, Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put the mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews didn't believe this about him, uh, that he was blind and received his sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. Okay, so let me just pause here. Now, they, they don't believe the guy who's been healed. They believe there must be some sort of, uh, this must be some sort of trick. So they go and they get his parents. Uh, so verse 19, they ask them, the parents, Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he see? Well, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. Like, that's a fair thing to expect parents to know, right? That, that this is their son and that he was born blind. Um, verse 21, But we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, well, he's of age, you ask him. Verse 24. So a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Verse 25. He answered, 
Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. That's all, this, that's all the, the man born blind who now sees. That's all that he knows. It's like, I don't know much theology. I don't know much about how the world works. I do know that I was blind, and now I can see. Clearly, that was Jesus who did that. Now, as I see it, as I, as I understand this story, it seems to me that this is a story that shows that from the point of view of Jesus, there are really two kinds of blindness. There's physical blindness and spiritual blindness. And in a culture and in a world that assumes that physical blindness is, is the worst and is, uh, is some kind of a punishment from God, Jesus is making the point that no, spiritual blindness is worse. That it's actually worse to be spiritually blind than physically blind. Because with physical blindness, you can't see the world as it is. Um, in, in spiritual blindness, your eyes, your physical eyes work, but you're, yet you're still in darkness. You're still in darkness. So physical blindness, as far as Jesus is concerned, is not as bad. It's not as, it's, it's, it's not as bad as spiritual blindness. Now, how can you know if you're spiritually blind? How can you know if you're spiritually blind? The story shows us. The story shows us. Because look at the Pharisees in the story. Uh, first, they won't change their minds. They're here. They're face to face with Jesus. They've been listening to his teaching. They're convinced that Jesus is wrong and that their interpretation of Moses' law is right. They won't change their minds. They also, they reject Jesus outright as Messiah. Not only, in fact, do they, rec- do they reject Jesus, they reject those who believe him. They re- so they reject Jesus and they reject those who, who believe him. And then what seems to me the worst part is that they blame other people for their own suffering. That seems to me a good hint that you're spiritually blind. You, you blame people for their own suffering. Like, see, see, it's obviously your fault or it's your family's fault or it's your fault for living in, in Hamilton. Like, you should repent. Or, like, it's the nation's fault. And so, if as a, if, if as a country, if Canada would just repent, if, if Canada would just, you know, uh, be, be a Christian nation again, then maybe God would lift the curse. Then maybe our suffering would be over. Um, and Because people make conclusions like that. People conclude God is angry at us because of the ways we have betrayed him, because of the ways that maybe we have... You know, because of the ways that Canada has redefined the family or because of the ways that Canada has uh, treated the elderly and just a lot of, you know, sort of moral issues, a lot of people believe that maybe God's curse is on Canada. And, and, and you know, you probably, when you, when you hear it put that way, you're just like, well, nobody really thinks like that. But they do. Like, they actually do. Uh, you, like that kind of cruelty, I'm, I'm not immune from that kind of cruelty. I've, not long ago, um, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the UK, he, was, he used to go around, when we were just learning about what this COVID-19 thing was, he used to go around and he would shake people's hands kind of like, kind of defiantly, kind of proudly, kind of like making it seem like the rest of us are overreacting. And then, you know, a couple weeks ago, he tested positive for COVID-19. And it's like, when I heard that, all of a sudden, without thinking, I just started shaking my head, almost like, serves you right. Serves you right, Boris Johnson. And I'm like, where does that come from? 
Why do I take some kind of satisfaction in seeing people uh, you know, suffer after showing that they're immune to suffering? Like that's pretty awful, right? Where does that, why do I do that? Where does that come from? And it makes me realize, you know, I believe that Jesus has healed my spiritual blindness, but I don't always live like that. And I think I know why. Like, I think I know why I kind of shake my head at a guy like Boris Johnson without thinking about it. Um, one reason is because if God is, is kind of my own pride. Like, if, if suffering is God's punishment, and if I'm not suffering, that makes me feel pretty great. Like, it, must, it kind of confirms for me, I must be doing a pretty good job. You know, I'm a pretty big deal. Um... I think it makes me feel secure, too. Like, if God only punishes bad people, and if I'm not being punished, if I'm not suffering, then I feel pretty secure. You know, I feel like whatever I'm doing works. It's got me covered. I'm secure. Uh, my good deeds, uh, you know, the good things that I do, the bad things that I don't do, that's got me pretty protected. And then, also, I think another reason, though, is because if suffering is God's punishment... If suffering is God's punishment on a person, and I can see somebody who's suffering, that kind of makes me feel like, well, that person isn't my problem. They're not my problem. They, that person has made themselves an enemy of God. They did it to themselves. See, if they, if they hadn't made their choices, if they hadn't committed you know, uh, all these sins, if they hadn't chosen a life of evil, then uh, none of this would have happened. But, but if they didn't choose this, see, if they didn't choose this, if it just sort of happened to them, if they're not responsible, then I actually owe them compassion. I owe them empathy, you know? I, I mean, I owe it to them anyways, but especially if, if they didn't choose this, if it just happened to them, I, I owe them my compassion. But I tell myself, like, not if they're getting what they deserve. If they're getting what, I, what they deserve, I'm not going to put myself on the other side of God. You know, I can say to myself, well, they're not my problem. I can, I can go about my business and ignore them. Let me just pause here for a minute. How many of you have already heard people suggest that coronavirus is how God is punishing us? Have you heard this already? Yeah, listen. We need to know what God says to this idea. Because here in the passage, in John 9, Jesus says, this man is not blind because he sinned or because anybody else sinned. Like, I didn't make that up. Jesus said that. You, or you could go way, way back into the Old Testament. You could look at the story of Job. And when Job was suffering, his three friends got around him and they offered, offered all kinds of explanations for why, Job, if you would just repent of what you've done, uh, you know, then, then this suffering would go away. Like, for, the, for Job's friends, it was, like, it was obvious to them that this was Job's fault. And in the story of Job... God rebukes the friends for saying that Job's suffering was a punishment. In fact, he tells them at the story, at the end of the story, they have said things about him that are not true. You could look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where Paul promises, it's a promise, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then I think there's actually a really good explanation in Hebrews 12, where the writer there says that if we suffer... It's discipline. God is treating us as sons. Uh, it's, not, it's not punishment. It's discipline. Because what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? 
Like, if you're going through hard times, that's a good indication, the author says, that you're being disciplined. Because if you weren't a son, if you weren't a daughter, he wouldn't care enough to discipline you. Right? In other words, it's not the people who suffer that we should worry about. In fact, it's, maybe it's the people who never suffer according to that passage in Hebrews 12. And listen, as time goes on, as the pandemic spreads, we're going to be tempted to think that this thing is a punishment from God. And I understand why people come to that conclusion. And like I can, I can relate to that. In my view, it's, it's certainly logical to conclude that suffering must be our fault. It's just that it's not biblical. In fact, that's why Jesus' response is pretty radical. So, so take a minute here. Let's hear what he says. And watch what he does. So let's listen to what Jesus says and let's watch what he does. Because Jesus shows us a different meaning for suffering altogether. He shows us a different meaning for suffering. Let's listen to what he says. He, when, when they ask Jesus whose fault it is that the man was born blind, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but it came about so that God's works might be displayed. Again, we've got to be so clear on this. It's not his fault. It's not Jesus' fault either. But he makes it his problem. It's his mission. It's, it's Jesus now, is, he's going to repurpose this man's suffering. He's going to recycle this man's suffering into an opportunity. This is, this is Jesus saying, it's nobody's fault. But it is an opportunity now for God to work through me. And I'm going to take this opportunity. So that's, so that's as we listen to what Jesus says. Now let's watch what Jesus does. It's really important for us to see that this man's healing came before this man's faith. That's important. That means something. Don't you think? Don't you think that means something? Like if, if physical blindness was God's judgment, then Jesus wouldn't have healed him first because Jesus doesn't disagree with his father. No, like in that case, Jesus, if, if it were a punishment, if this were God's judgment, Jesus would have waited for the man to repent and then he would have healed him. But no, that's not what happens. Instead, Jesus heals him. He doesn't wait for the man to understand. He doesn't wait for the man to repent. He doesn't wait for the man to feel sorry or to, to deserve it or demonstrate that he's contrite. There are no conditions here. Jesus just heals him and the man's faith came after. I don't know who he is. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The man becomes a believer, and Jesus, at least in the eyes of the Pharisees, he becomes a sinner. So while the man becomes a believer, Jesus becomes a sinner, it seems. Jesus had a choice, you see. It's, he knows it's the Sabbath. He knows that there is no way to help this guy without these Pharisees calling him a sinner, concluding that he's a sinner. And Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't care. And so the same process by which this man becomes a believer in the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus becomes a sinner. And you know what? He did the same for us. The, way, the reason why you and I can see Jesus today and re, why we can enjoy him is because he has healed us of our spiritual blindness. He didn't wait for you and I to overcome uh, our, our blindness. The Spirit of God did that. He just did it. And that has to affect us, doesn't it? That just, it has to affect us. It has to affect the way that we look at others. It has to affect the way that we look at ourselves. And, and you know, maybe you, and, 
maybe you and I aren't spiritually blind anymore, but it sure is possible to live like we are. It is possible to live like we are by running around and pointing fingers and putting ourselves in the place of God and telling other people that the reason for their suffering is because they are sinners. You know, this is a hard situation, no doubt about it. We have never faced anything like this. We're going into this pandemic and we have never been in through anything like this um, in our lifetime. And we're all affected. We're all affected differently. And, and, and you know what? If your life situation is harder now because of COVID-19, you are suffering. Can we just say that? If your life is harder now because of the coronavirus, you're suffering. Just because you're not sick, and just because you're not dead, uh, doesn't mean that it's not suffering. It, it counts. And so we need to accept that. Because, you know, there's a lot that we don't know. We don't know how long this thing's going to last. We don't know who of the people that we know and love are going to be taken out by this coronavirus. We don't know how uh, long this, it'll, it'll be that the schools are closed. Right? Some of you, you find yourselves at home uh, as, as homeschoolers, and you certainly didn't choose that. And some of you feel uh, ill-prepared to be hanging out with your kids all day. We have no idea if or when the schools will open. We have no idea if we're ever going to get back to the way things were after this. We don't know who's going to get sick. We don't know who's going to stay healthy. We don't know, we, we don't know if we're going to survive this thing. But here's something we do know. Because we are not blind anymore. We know that we can know what God is like because Jesus has shown us what he wants to do with suffering. He wants to turn that into an opportunity to display the works of God. Let me say that again. We know what God is like because Jesus has shown us that God wants to take our suffering and repurpose it as a way to show the works of God. You know what else we know because we're not blind anymore? We know that in the same way that God didn't send COVID-19 to punish us, we can know that he's with us, he's ready and waiting to display his works in you and in me and in our neighborhoods and in all throughout Hamilton. He is not, he did not send this, uh, this, this, to punish us. That is, not, that is not how God works. I hope you know that. Um, but God is with us. And he's ready and he's waiting to display his works through us. Amen. Thank you for listening.